Want to have your very own free-range egg farming business? Welcome to Green Grass Egg Farming Podcast with Daniel O'Brien, the show dedicated to giving you the latest tips, ideas and interviews to help you produce the best-tasting free-range eggs and sell your eggs for the highest price. And here's your host, Daniel O'Brien. Daniel O'Brien here. Welcome back to Green Grass Egg Farming I have another very special guest today, Adam Wormsley from Bonavista Farm. Welcome. G'day, Daniel. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to today's podcast because we've known each other for a few years now and, and I love going to your farm because it's just a brilliant, brilliant farm. If it's not on the ocean, it's pretty close to the ocean. I tell people about your farm, you could hit a golf ball into the water. Would that be about right? Yeah, pretty. Uh, if you're Tiger Woods, I think you'd you'd manage it. So yeah, it's, okay. uh, we're very fortunate. It's a it's a nice nice location. There's a few distractions. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Tell me a bit about your farm and and the location. So for people that uh, have never been to your website or your Facebook page, just describe your farm and what it looks like and where it is. Sure. So we're located at Gerringong, which is on the south coast of New South Wales, about two hours south of Sydney. And we're right on the right on the coast, and we've got the escarpment behind us. My family, or sorry, Fee, my wife, it's her family farm. So the Weirs have been farming here since the 1850s. And up until recently, it was very much dairy country. So this farm has always been run as a, as a dairy. And until about, I think it was the year 2000 that Fee's dad sold the herd uh, just before deregulation came in. And he was sort of in semi-retirement then and we were still living in Sydney. And then we came down and sort of thought, well, we've got this farm here, we may as well you know, have a crack at doing something with it. But it's, it's lovely open pasture, quite rich volcanic basalt soils, about 1.4, 1.5 metres of rain a year in a dry year. So we're very fortunate there. We've got pretty good fertility. Yeah. Not many trees. It's, it's a pretty open because it's been cleared by the cedar cutters originally. And, and so we're working on sort of doing a lot of tree planting and bits and pieces. But um, no, it's a, it's a good place to start. The size, it used to be, we farm 18 acres now, which is a tiny little farm. The original farm used to be much bigger, about 200 acres. And over the years, chunks have been sold off to, you know, deal with family succession and things. But we feel fortunate to, to have access to that 18 acres. And it's actually, surprisingly, it's more than enough for us. Like, uh, we, we laugh at how busy we are just with that land size and you know i don't think we're in any hurry to to get anything more we we make the most of it it's interesting small farms i've heard stories you'll have people sort of out west like new south wales and and they've come off like five thousand acres like huge farms and they they move to the coast somewhere to semi-retire and they buy like a hundred acres and like this will be a breeze. I had yeah. five thousand acres. Yeah. What, what they sort of forget and they they learn pretty quick. It's like if you want to earn the same money from a hundred acres as you did five thousand, you got to farm it a little bit more intensively. Yes. Now yeah. that compounds for you. You've got eighteen acres and and we'll talk about soon all the things you do on that farm um, and, and all the layer. Of, of farming but first before you you said you um t- 2000 your father-in-law uh, got rid of the herd so you're ready to move down to the farm tell me a bit about your background what were you doing before you were a farmer 
<laughs> yes, I, I didn't have a background in farming. I grew up in <clears throat> Armidale in northern New South Wales, so grew up in the country but not, not, on, the, not on the land. Uh, so I was a retailer my, pretty much my whole professional working life and um, I worked for IKEA for many years, a uh, big Swedish furniture retailer. So I'm very good at Allen Keys and, you know, instructions and getting lost in mazes of buildings. Uh, <laughs> Good. Not so relevant for sort of practical hands-on uh, farming, so to speak. And Fee, she was, well, she's got a very diverse background. She's a medieval historian by sort of academic training, but then a financial services marketing person by sort of professional means. And so that took us all around the, you know, different parts of Australia and we worked overseas for a little while. But yeah, it's certainly uh, not directly relevant to day-to-day farming yeah so so you've both come from would you call it a corporate background like uh, yeah 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 like re- retail and corporate so so you, you made the journey onto the, the 18 acres and tell me about the first like two or three years when you're like yep we're going to be farmers like what was that like what were some of the the good bad and crazy things you did when you're first getting getting your hands dirty yeah, look, it was an amazing journey. It was, there were incredible highs and some quite sort of severe lows, as I think you'd expect when you're trying something completely new. Fee's one of four kids, and for years they'd been trying to work out the family succession and did anyone want to move to the farm? And none of her brothers or sisters really felt very passionate about moving back to Gerangong, but uh, Fee always did. And so in the back of our minds for years, we had this sort of, oh, we'll go to the farm one day, but it was always the one day. And uh, I think finally, I don't know, I just got sick of driving along Parramatta Road and the sort of rat race. It wasn't that I didn't like my job, but it just, I thought there has to be more to life. Mm. Uh, and so I quit work quite quickly and uh, we moved down with absolutely no idea really what we wanted to do, apart from the fact that we wanted to make a living living on the farm. So we didn't want a hobby farm, so to speak. We, we wanted to actually live and work and, and work together on, on a business that related to to the location and the farm that we had. So we moved down and we rented a house out of town for the first year. So we weren't actually living on the farm and that's where we, we had a chance to explore certain things. So we started with you know, a couple of backyard chooks and we bought two little pigs, you know, did a, a lot of baking and bits and pieces and, and you know, just it, it actually, when you challenge yourself like that, we, we found it quite invigorating because you had to work out a way to make money. You know, we couldn't go and or we chose not to go and, you know, get office jobs or anything. We thought, yeah. right, we've got to, got to make the most of this. And I think that first exploratory year, we ruled out some, some things that just didn't, didn't resonate with us. And then we yeah. found that, okay, you know what? Chickens are a winner. Chickens give you an income every day, like with their, their eggs. You know, pigs, they're pretty entertaining and they're a nightmare to handle sometimes and load. But, <laughs> yes. but they, they keep you in dinner party stories. So, you know, that's uh, if we could ever afford to have a dinner party. And then, um, so there were lots of bits and pieces. And then we finally moved on to the, the farm and that was really the catalyst. So this is only four years ago. Yeah. And that's where we sort of got cracking. And we sat down and we thought, right, what are our, what are our opportunities here? And one is the view. Like it is a pretty special location in terms of our outlook. We look at the ocean. We've got the mountains behind us. It's, it's pretty – there's not so many farms where you've got rolling green hills to the, to the actual surf line. So we thought, right, we have to farm the view. That's one, one job. And then yeah. what else can we do on the, the space of the, this sort of land size? And somebody had given me a book on Joel Salatin, uh, the U.S. farmer. Yeah. And he was sort of, and I, I think the book was called, you know, Yes, You Can Farm or So You Can Farm. And I go, yeah, I read it and went, yeah, I can, I can do that. I can yeah. have a crack at it because it's, 
his philosophy is all about small sort of scale family farms, uh, rotation, like no fixed infrastructure, rotating everything, stacking. So not just having, you know, not just having one form of livestock, for instance, and selling direct and all of those things. I thought, yes, 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 I can do that. I'll give it a shot anyway. You know, nothing like blind ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my father-in-law, he calls me the Google farmer when things are going well because, you know, I, I don't pretend to know much or didn't when I first started. And so I just read voraciously. I Googled everything. I watched YouTube. I talked to anyone that had had any experience with things. And then he calls me the fiasco farmer when things don't quite go to plan because then I have to go up and ask him how he would do it in a proper old school farming way and then we fix it and then we, we get on with things again. <laughs> but that fee brings – and we bring quite diverse skill sets. So my background was retailing. Fee is, apart from medieval history and marketing, she's a super passionate cook and really quite passionate about sort of from scratch cooking and old school making things, you know, that are, that are simple and sort of the lost arts. And so we decided that actually a food business would also complement the what we we're doing on the farm. So we one of the first things we did was actually convert part of the old dairy that was no longer used into a commercial kitchen. And that's where we started to run or produce food for markets, local markets. And then we, we had a lot of requests, like people wanted to learn these things. So we thought, okay, there's probably something in that. So we started running a on-farm cooking school. And today that's that's a big part of our overall business. So we run workshops most weekends yeah. on sort of those lost traditional arts of, you know, how to make butter and how to make ferments and bread making and simple home dairy stuff. And it's, yeah, that's, that's terrific and it complements the agricultural side of things. So the, the egg business and the meat bird business and the beef and the pigs really well. And it, I like it because it's, you know, an average week, you're doing a bit of everything. It's not, uh, you're not just sort of specializing in one particular, particular thing. Yeah. And I think what we were saying before, like with 18 acres, like you need to layer that farm. You can't just go, okay, how many cattle will that hold? Because that's, yeah. that's not going to give you much of an income. So I love what you you have done with such a small parcel of land. And I think it gives a lot of people hope when they're like, oh, like whatever you've got, you always look like the grass is greener on the other side. Of like, oh, if, if you have five acres, you're like, oh, if only I had 18. If you have... Yeah a high rainfall oh if only it didn't wasn't as muddy if you like whatever it is it's like i wish it was different absolutely to see what you've done like on on 18 acres there and you've you've got almost like a tourism arm of teaching things and that's something i want to talk to fiona about um in an up-and-coming podcast of of how does farm tourism work because that's effectively what you've sort of tapped into you're bringing people to the farm you're you're teaching them stuff and and they Mm. get to experience yeah, your, your, your lifestyle and, and learn things, what you are doing on the farm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really interesting sort of facet to it. And you've got to, you've got to be pragmatic because we, we had that life goal of working and earning our living from the farm, so not wanting to have off-farm income or somebody working off the farm. And, and that's where you've really got to think, okay, well, you know, if I run 150 chickens, that's not really going to pay the bills. Yeah. You know, and then you, okay, well, how can I integrate, you know, beef production in that and then a market garden? And then, yeah, the other tangent of, well, how can we build our brand outside the farm? And that's, you know, food production and markets and workshops and things. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a, and it's, it's an evolving process. So it's certainly, it's shaped over the last couple of years and we're getting better at refining what, what is relevant and what works for us and what we get enjoyment out of and also what's uh, financially viable. So tell me, what are the things you do on your farm? So I know you've got chickens. Um, do you still have bees? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. How are, the, so we, how are the bees going? The bees are tops. Yeah. I love bees. They're just the most fascinating creatures. And what they're able to produce and you, you, you watch them communicating. Like you're open, you've opened a hive in you know, the middle of summer and you're watching them come in and do their little bum wiggle dance and you know, <laughs> the figure of eights and they're, they're communicating where the pollen or where the nectar is for other bees to go and, go and track it. And they're phenomenal. And raw honey, you know, just straight out of the hive. It's, yeah. it's pretty amazing stuff. So, so, yes, we've got a couple of oh, – we've got about eight, eight beehives. Yeah. Um, so four of those are worry hives, natural or sort of um, top bar hives, if you like, and then uh, four are Langstroth, the sort of more standard uh, – they produce more honey but uh, a different way of uh, raising the bees. So there – and they started – we got them actually for – pollination and for farm fertility and the, the honey is a sort of a, a byproduct that we're still pretty happy with but we we certainly don't work them super hard and it's not about maximizing the absolute yeah. uh, honey flow because we want we want a, a a good sort of environment for everything else on the farm so that's so we, the pollination <laughs> for the market garden or uh yes market garden and then a, a sort of growing food forest and things as we as we're planting more and more um things around the around the farm yeah but we started with chickens, so that was way back when. We actually started with a little fixed yard and, you know, 50 chickens and that, that grew until we got one of your caravans, the little one, the 130, and then we got a second second caravan. So we're running layers and then we also got into meat birds. So we currently – and that's probably the biggest component of our agricultural output at the moment is pasture-raised meat birds. Yeah. So we uh, – we followed the Joel Salatin sort of, you know, pens for a little while, but they didn't really work for us on our terrain and also with our winds and, and the temperature in summer. So we've changed the shelters a bit and we do day ranging. Basically, we're using electrified poultry nets, the similar, same ones that we use around the layers. Yep. And that's really, that's really good and we're very proud of the, the product there. Ironically, now we actually stop selling eggs because all the eggs go into our custard production. So custard is one thing that we sell through the farmers market. So we're using a local milk, a lo- local milk from a, a local dairy, and yeah, that's a bit of a cult product now. In addition to that, we've got some pigs. Only we've got two breeding sales at any one time, and we borrow boar regularly, and then we we just grow out probably sort of that equates to two litres a year yep. per per pig, and we sell that direct off the farm once it's been uh, butchered. And then we've got six, seven head of beef. So a tiny, you know, massive herd, massive. But yeah. uh, <laughs> they're our lawnmowers, uh, Shirley Dangus, and, and they're great. So they, they're obviously working on, you know, using the, the grass and getting the grass down to the right length for the chickens, but also we process a couple of them each year. Uh, and then we've got a market garden, and that, that almost broke me. Well, it did break me a couple of times trying to do it because it's about 900 square metres of beds and it was just too much on top of, you know, when you talk about, you know, refining your business model and, yes. and that one just manual, fully labour intensive. It just, I tried and I just couldn't get on top of the weeds and so we'd grow little things and then gave up. But fortunately now we've got a, we found a woman called Linda who came down from another farm and she approached us to say, hey, look, I think you need me. And so we share farm now. So Linda runs the market garden as her business. We harvest from it as we need for our own business needs and she sells the the surpluses, her income, and she also works on the farm helping as well. And that's that's – I'm really stoked with that because it's a lovely partnership and it fits in – there's a synergy like we like having the market garden on the farm it's great for our cooking workshops and things like that we're also using fertile productive land and getting an outcome and we're you know linda's creating a living out of it and also 
you know, getting a benefit of living living on a farm as well. So that's pretty good. And then we've got the bees and we've also got coffee. Uh, we've got 100 coffee trees, which isn't really a commercial size crop, uh, but it does keep us in coffee. We produce about 60 kilos of green bean coffee a year. Uh, which is enough for us as a family to get through and then we run a few workshops and if you come and do a workshop on the farm, you're always drinking our coffee, which is, you know, something nice. Yeah, uh, I remember uh, when I was first at your farm and, and and I'm not like, I drink coffee occasionally but I'm not like a coffee connoisseur that goes <laughs> look, looks for coffee every day and you're like, oh, do you want a coffee? I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay. And then uh, I know it was your Fiona said that like, the coffee is grown on the farm and we roast and I'm like, what? Like I thought coffee is like grown in countries like like I know we grow a bit in Australia but I know that we're not a coffee growing country. I'm like how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I remember you showing me yeah, you got the, these coffee trees because you you don't get frost there. Is that the reason they were were, were planted back in the day? Yeah, it's Fee's dad when he retired from dairying because, as you know, when you're a farmer, you can't actually retire. You've got to still have stuff to do. Yeah. So there was talk at the time of creating a South Coast coffee-growing cooperative and in the end, it was only a few farmers that put any trees in and this was a, a test crop that went in in an old dairy lounging paddock. So it was incredibly fertile and it's got a little microclimate created with uh, windbreaks around it. So And we're so close to the coast that we rarely, rarely get any any significant frost. And yeah, so it, it shouldn't, it, as you say, it, it's, it's a tropical plant that grows at altitude and so we grow it in the subtropics at sea level. Yes. But it, it thrives, it's really good, it's very resistant to pests and, and disease. Yeah. And I think the only thing about where we grow it is it's slightly lower in caffeine as a result of that latitude and also the altitude. But um, it still tastes nice and it's, look, it's a, it's a bit of a pain in the bum at coffee picking time because, you know, it's hard work and you're picking yeah. repeatedly over sort of a two-month period. But, uh, but you forget about that when you're, you're drinking your morning latte. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> this is all right. This is zero food miles, you know. Yes. I've, I've, I've done that. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's just something a bit different, and you know, it's really it doesn't take up too much time in the total picture of things. Yeah, one thing I, I love is with the market garden that you got help, and, and I think that's important for some people. Rather than trying to do everything yourself, bring help in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you for small scale farming, the temptation is to do more and more things, and each time you're doing that, you're fragmenting. So we. In my corporate world, in my past life, you know, part of my job was to analyze businesses and make sure, you know, that you're doing the right thing and you're being efficient and you're being ruthless. Like if it's not profitable or not contributing to a bigger goal, then, you know, you scratch it. And then, of course, you change hats and you're your own boss on a small farm and you just keep adding stuff and, oh, we'll do goats and, yes. you know, we'll get that in and, you know, and geese and ducks and, and suddenly you realize that you've got this menagerie of animals that are all costing you a lot of money and feed and aren't delivering anything to the bottom line. And, you know, you've got to be pragmatic about it. And part of the, the learning is, I think, realizing when things aren't working or where they don't give you joy or where they're just not effective. So we had a choice to make the market garden bigger and buy lots of machinery for it so that we weren't handing anything and it was, you know, essentially plows and bed formers and things like that. But that's a lot of money for still very little return yeah. from a, a, a veggie garden. Whereas we wanted it just for the fresh produce and organically grown produce that we could use and value add through the commercial kitchen to sell. So we didn't want to get too big. And, um, and yeah, it's, I, I think this, I get a lot of energy out of the share farming arrangement because I've got a second set of brains on the farm. Linda's really 
capable and she does a fantastic job of the market garden. But it's also nice having that extra support around the farm for when bigger jobs need doing and, you know, I can use her skill set and, and abilities helping me with my, my bits and pieces around, around the place. And, you know, it's a shared enterprise and we're both, you know, we're both gaining something out of it and, you know, it's an extra living income if you like. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me when you first started with the chickens. I know I think you had uh, 50 chickens. They were in a, a fixed coop and you made sort of a run out one side. How did that, did, did you go sort of straight to 50 chickens when you sort of moved back to the farm or? Oh, I think we started with 10 and then 10 was really for us. So in that first year that we moved down here, we were looking at just being self-sufficient or as much as possible for our family. And then we realized that actually chickens are a bit of a winner. Like they're, you know, they're, they're entertaining. They're giving you that daily income. And we, there was so much demand for fresh farm eggs. Even, and these weren't pastured eggs. These were, you know, a fixed yard. And they had green, green runs and things. And they were, you know, let out during the day. And pretty quickly, I think we acquired a few sort of stray chickens. And we went to a chicken auction. And then we bought, you know, a few. So we, we were about 50. But that was the limit of that fixed yard, really, because as you know better than anyone, they're super destructive and yeah. if you're rotating them around. It was, it became a management issue that, you know, we really, we didn't want to add any more there, but we really wanted more eggs. And I read Joel's uh, books about um, pastured eggs and, you know, I thought, okay, I've got to get a, a mobile shelter of some description. And uh, well, I'm very good with Alan Keyes building <laughs> stuff and anything with writing, oh, I'm a shambles. Like it's not my, it's not my strength. And so I was looking at things and that's where we came across your website and at the time, you were only doing the, the larger, the 450 caravans. And, and we had a really long, hard look at that because I love the idea of not just not, not what it was in terms of just a physical shelter for the, the birds, but what it represented in terms of an ability to manage a flock like that on our property where we could integrate it with all the other systems and actually, you know, enhance the fertility of our farm rather than destroy it and get, you know, eggs. And also importantly... I was, it was clicking then with me about the managing your time and labor. Like you can't treat your your labor as a farmer as free and yes. you've got to put a dollar value on it. And so I was thinking, okay, doing the sums and then looking at your spreadsheets about, you know, the, the hours that you spend collecting and washing eggs or grading them and packaging. And, and it really made sense. And so that's when we, we got talking. And at that stage, we're quite hilly and I, I have – I was concerned that a 450 was just too big a caravan to actually work on getting it level on some areas of our farm. And then, so we sort of parked it and I, I started looking at converting caravans and things. And then it wasn't long after you rang up and said, hey, I've got a prototype of this smaller one. Do you want to give it a, give it a shot? And we jumped at that chance. And that was the, the first of the 130s. Yeah, that, that, it, that, that was the, the very first one we, we produced. So I think I, I must have had a conversation with, with you or Fiona. And I think you asked, like, do you do a smaller one? Yeah. And at the time, it's like, no, but we will one day. And obviously... Back then, I, I wrote your name down. I thought, oh, they're after a smaller one. So when when we first came round, yeah. um, came round to doing it, that's where I thought, well, we'll g- give these guys a call. And and I hadn't met you or anything, so it was sort of great there. You were sort of prototyping this brand new model on this beautiful farm. So it was it was yeah. good for both of us. Oh, it was fantastic. And and when we got it, it was just such a relief to get the the chickens out of that fixed yard near the house and get them onto pasture all the time and we saw a lift in the the rate of lay and also i think the quality of the the eggs improved and i love the fact because until that point we'd been using 
uh, fixed nesting boxes, you know, filled with straw or wood chip or wood shavings. And um, we just are spending proportionally so much time, like cleaning eggs or, or collecting them frequently to try and make them, you know, get them while they're clean. Yes. And um, it was just so nice to like look in the conveyor belt and wind them up and there's, yeah, 99% of clean eggs and, you know, that, that system worked really well. So that was – and that was an integrated flock. So we moved our house hens out and then we – I think it was about half and half. So I think we had sort of 50 or 60 house house hens and then we bought a new batch of hens to bring it up to the 130. And that was terrific and it was probably – I can't remember exactly, but roughly 12 months later that – because we were selling every egg and then some, like in terms of just the demand was, was huge. Yeah. So then we uh, – we bought a second one from you and a second one thirty. So we, we started to run two. And that was yeah, again, fabulous. And it, it fitted in with us our, our overall farm plan. The rotation seemed to be fine. Like we just have sort of two phases, working the cows first, then the then the layers and then often the, the meat birds after that. And it's yeah, really good really good system. And so at that stage we were yeah, that was three hundred or about three hundred hens on the farm laying and more and more of that production went into our custard yeah so uh, and now you're at a point where you're not selling any eggs and you're using them all on farm so value adding them on another layer so yeah i mean for a small farm like us there's there's not enough money in just selling your agriculture agricultural output uh wholesale yes really got it and even selling it direct you've got to be smart about what you what you do so I mean, even to this day, we're still getting heaps of requests for eggs, but the reality is it's worth a lot more to us in terms of income for us to value add those those eggs that we, we have into our custard product, which which is fantastic in itself and it's part of the ethos of, you know, at least a component of it is is off the farm that we're, we're selling. And it's, yeah, it's it just, it works for us and, you know, it's a, it's a great little system. So with the, with the custard, is that something you sell direct from farm or at a farmer's markets? Where do you sort of retail that? When we first started the food business, we were selling off the farm. And then we, after a couple of months, we realized that it wasn't a particularly efficient way of doing it because every 10 minutes, you'd get a phone call from someone saying, oh, look, I'll, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Like, can I just pick up a dozen eggs and some custard or, you know, and you're going, oh, and it was lovely having that face-to-face contact and selling directly with your customers and yeah. chatting to them. But it also meant you got, you never got any work done because yes. you're constantly, or you'd be up the paddock and you'd have to come back and then you're waiting and somebody's late and then, you know, all for a $8 transaction. And also under our local council rules, we'd have to if we wanted to have a on farm like a farm gate sale, we had to make some significant changes to the farm in terms of driveway and turning lane access, which the the investment in that kind of infrastructure didn't wasn't the return on it through the farm gate sales that we envisaged wasn't gonna be nearly enough. So yeah. then we made the the decision that we would sell through a local co op. <clears throat> there's a local food co op uh, that we support called Greenbox which is fabulous. And then there's also some local markets. And we started by doing weekend markets, but they actually, they weren't great for us. They were, I mean, they, they, they kept, us a, kept us afloat and we did earn money, but they're a very long day. And weekend markets tend to be a lot of people just browsing or particularly in Jerangong, they're people on holidays and, you know, having a look around and they're not really interested in buying fresh veggies and the sort of food staples that, yeah. we, that we sold. And also, all those weekly, all those weekend markets were only monthly, which meant we had to go to a different one each weekend, and it ate into our weekends. 
so then we transitioned from that to running workshops on weekends and Svee was part of a committee that set up the Kayama Farmer's Market, which was modelled on a farmer's market called uh, Sage down at uh, Maruya that's an award-winning one. And it's a, a weekday, so Wednesday afternoon for three hours, yep. three to six, and it's fabulous because it's every week. It's only short. Because it's in the afternoon, you can actually do a lot of your harvest or your prep the morning of, so you're getting super fresh produce. And we found that it just attracts an amazing number of locals that come and do their weekly shopping with us now. So we're blown away by the support that we get in terms of people coming every week and buying you know, whatever we've, we've got as part of their integrated weekly shop. Uh, and it's really, it's so much more efficient than a weekend market for us, which is terrific. So now that's, that's our main sales channel. So the farmer's market and a little bit to the Green Box Food Co-op. And then we've just started selling a little bit through a couple of local cafes down in Berry. So, so that's good. And it's, it's something that's potentially scalable for us in the future. So the next step would be potentially to you know, hire a few extra people. There's already one person that works part-time uh, in a kitchen with Fee, and I think that's an avenue that we'll look at in the, the year to come of seeing if we can boost the, the output of the, the food side. Yeah, fantastic. No, it's, it's just incredible, like 18 acres and so many enterprises, and it's interesting seeing your journey as you started, like, like you said, with, with 50 hens, and you realise, hey, they're going to destroy this area of grass and turn it to a, a dirt patch and and right through to like you, you got the chicken caravans you're selling the eggs and then you you've you've really looked at it and thought we can actually make more money by value adding the eggs and then also your retail channels you saw the initial farmers market and then you've now moved to sort of um food co-ops and and a weekday a shorter farmers market which makes a lot of sense because i do know what you mean like i think farmers markets are great for marketing mm. but you're right it is a long day there is prep that goes into it i think where it can work if you're doing massive volume if you're turning up and you're selling like a hundred or two hundred dozen mm, yeah i think it's worthwhile but if you're there and you're only doing a transaction sort of every 20 minutes you could be doing something else on farm that could probably be making you a lot more money yeah yeah so it's interesting to sort of see your journey and and i think with anyone you'll see what works what works for for another farm might not work for you like you were saying with those meat chicken cages you started off with something can you go it just it wasn't working in your climate or and, and your wind and whatever and i think it's important for people to realize that it's easy enough to for someone to listen to this, this podcast and they go well i've got 18 acres i'll do exactly that well don't put coffee in if you're going to get frost like <laughs> yeah yeah you're going to be a bit upset when it all dies so yeah. um and it does take a while of like observation of what's going to work for me how close am i to markets how big is my farm like mm. how many cattle and chickens can work together so i think having that observation and giving yourself time and patience otherwise you could be a frustrated farmer real quick so oh, i couldn't agree more with you daniel I, I think the two skills that i've developed farming one is a sort of ability to fix fix things badly but <laughs> a lot of stuff breaks and you 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 learn the art of it doesn't look pretty but it you can you can keep patch something while you you work on a better fix or you can repair it so that 
you know, you've still got water to the farm or electric fencing yes. and that kind of thing. And the other thing is observation. I, I think it's a, it's rarely talked about, but in a corporate world, you've got so much feedback in terms of KPIs and numbers and things. But the, the joy of farming is you're out there and you, you start to appreciate the seasons and you're looking at pasture growth and you're watching, you're looking at your chicken health and you're, you're observing them and stuff seems weird sometimes. And if it is, then if something you know doesn't seem right, it probably isn't and you need to, to dig into it. But I love that. It's probably one of the most satisfying things about the uh, my day-to-day role at the moment is that, you know, I love that interaction and the observation and problem solving and, and working on things. But it's, you're never, you're never complete. You never finished it. You've never mastered it. I think there's so many points where you can start and, but you should, as you say, carry on and, and find your own way that, that works for you, that the context is right for you and that, uh, you know, gives you energy and joy doing what you do. Yeah. Uh, and really look at, like the lifestyle of what you want to create. Like I remember in the early days of when I had the egg farm and and I said, oh, like we can't keep up with demand. And a lot of people said like, why don't you like double your numbers or 10 times your numbers? And I think, well, I want a lifestyle. I still want to have some time on a weekend to go kayaking or do something. So yeah. it's all well and good. You can do everything, but what do you actually want to do? And look at the lifestyle, like especially if you've got a young family and that, like what fits in? And I know a lot of people that they've got into chicken farming because their children are young and they want them involved in the farming uh, enterprise. Now with chickens, that's easy. If you run like a beef stud, it's a bit Mm. hard to sort of draft cattle in at cattle yards with like 600 kilo beasts that are running through and there's your three-year-old trying to help you. So (laughs) look at what do you want and what's going to work for you because at at the end of the day, like this is your lifestyle, like farming is a lifestyle. Mm. Um, It's like a lot of people, they could get into corporate and the it, they, they might think it makes their dreams come true, and for some people it does, but for others it's like, hang on, this isn't what I was after. And mm. I think sometimes with that observation in farming, you can create something that's that's good for you. And, and I, I know some some people, they love farmer's markets, and they're there every Saturday, they love selling their eggs, and that's them. It, it wasn't me. I was happy to do it for a season, but I thought, I can't sustain this like every Saturday, as you know, like getting up early, like preparing it all, being at your market all day, even if it's raining and and things. But work out what works for you. So, uh, and, I, and I think observation and time, give it some time, mm. you, you'll find that. Oh, yes, the time thing at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't rush farming like there's certain things that it it just has to go at its own yeah. its own pace and you've got to fit in with that don't you yeah pretty yes. funny yeah i've seen many people who like, bought a farm and it's almost like day one they're like oh let's do this 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 and like they they yeah. haven't even had time to like know where the wet spots are like yeah. <laughs> so they could be putting like the cattle yards in the wet in the swamp and the farm is the feedback loop like yeah. you 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 need to try things and then observe and see see how the the land responds to that and how the animals respond and and work out is that is that what you want is that the right outcome or you know have you overdone it is it under you know understocked all those all those things so it's it's a fascinating process but it's uh it's it's a change of mindset from a sort of traditional job i think yes well we've covered a lot today we've covered egg laying chickens market garden bees meat chickens pigs 
beef, coffee, custard. Dairy, dairy goats, Daniel. I, I, dairy goats. He'll be cross with me. There's only three, and uh, but that and that's really fees folly. All okay. her life, she's wanted to make goat's cheese. So yeah. those those three dairy goats are for her little uh, goat, and that's not a commercial enterprise. That one's just for her love of you know making making cheese. Yeah, and she's making cheese now. Uh, not yet. They haven't kitted, so hopefully okay. yeah, they'll have their, their little kids soon and we'll start milking them. But, uh, yeah, needless to say, they've uh, challenged my uh, fencing techniques. And, yes. Uh, a bit more work to be done there, I think. I've heard goats can be quite cunning. <laughs> yeah, total, total escape artists, but uh, they're pretty entertaining. So, uh, we'll, yeah. We'll... well, for more information, people can go to bonavistafarm.com.au. Is that correct? Uh, yes, so we've got a, all the, the links and workshop information and farm informations on that website. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure we'll talk soon and I'm sure I'll catch up with Fee on a future episode and talk about sort of farm tourism and sort of how all that works and how you got into that as well. So thank you so much for your time today, Adam. Thanks for joining us on Green Grass Egg Farming Podcast. For transcripts and other free resources, please go to greengrasseggfarming.com.